They're heading downstairs. You can turn with me to Psalm 106. Psalm 106. Uh, before I read that text, um, in 1984, uh, President Ronald Reagan uh, declared, uh, issued a proclamation designating January 22nd as the first National Sanctity of Human Life Day. Uh, January 22nd is significant because in 1973, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, declared or uh, decided that, or legalized, I should say, abortion on demand in all 50 states in the case of Roe v. Wade that you're probably very familiar with. And so President Ronald Reagan issued a day that we would set aside every year, the third uh, week, the third Sunday of every, of January, uh, that we have celebrated ever since to commemorate uh, the many who have lost, who've been lost to abortion, the many, many babies' lives who've been lost to abortion, also to celebrate the gift of life that God gives us and to commit ourselves to protecting human life at every stage. And so today, uh, we're going to tackle, Pastor Nick is sick, and so, uh, so he, he leaves me with this Sunday to talk about a very big and challenging topic. Of, of the sanctity, the importance, the value of human life. And uh, this is not the normal course of messages in our church, just if you're brand new here today and you're, going, you're here for the very first time. This is not the normal course. This message even would be a little different than typically the way we would do it. I know we're going through the book of Daniel, and typically that's the way we would do it. Today is going to be a little bit different as we try to tackle in a big way um, this subject, and hopefully over the last 24 hours, God has impressed it into my heart um, as we teach on it this morning. And so we're going to stand today and open our Bibles to, to Psalm 106, and we're going to be looking at just a portion of this psalm, but let me just, as you're standing and getting ready to read it, the reason why we ask you to stand is because we want to honor God and His Word. It's His authoritative Word, and that's very important for us to understand today as we tackle this subject. But this psalm is actually a, a, song that, a psalm that begins and ends with praise to God for His steadfast love. And so as we read it, we're going to pick up in the middle of this, of this, this psalm, but as we read it, just remember that the book ends, the beginning and the ending is about praising God for what he has done uh, and for his steadfast love in spite of their sinfulness, in spite of his people's sinfulness. Uh, God is, is loving and steadfast and he rescues and saves sinners like them and like us. And so the six, verses 6 through 43 is all a confession of sin. That's what it is. And it may seem a little dismal as I go through it here, um, but it's not dismal in any stretch because we have a God who is going to declare the hope that we have uh, in his redemptive work at the end of this. So we're going to start in verse 36 in this middle of this section where the psalmist is just declaring his confession on behalf of himself and the whole nation, uh, declaring his confession of sin. He says this in verse 30, 36. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to idol, the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage. He gave them into the hand of the nations so that those who hated them ruled over them. 
Their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Good news. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. And for their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Let us say, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let me pray. God, we need, we need your strength today. I need your strength today as we talk about this very, very important topic and subject of the importance, the sanctity of human life. God, help us to believe the scriptures. Help us to trust your word. Help us to be strengthened today, to be encouraged. May your body here be equipped as we face often much opposition on this in our culture. And so God, would your word today speak clear to us. May we be all the more committed to valuing all of human life today. And we pray this in your name. Amen. This is a very big and difficult subject, which will probably... There's no way in the next minutes we can somehow tackle every little intricate detail of this topic. And so it's going to leave you, I guarantee you, with lots of questions as well as some answers. And so if you have questions, we're not going to do a Q&A at the end because you're probably going to have a million of them. But uh, I will stay here at the front of the stage after church today if you have anything you want to talk about. Or you can email the office and, uh, and Pastor Nick would love to talk to you about this. So if there's, there's all kinds of l- details and little intricate things that come up with this subject. And so we're going to try to tackle it in as big and a broad a way as we can, but with some specificity as well. So, so bear with me uh, as we go through this. But I just want to say this. There's probably uh, several different types of people here this morning that are listening to this message I'm going to give in different ways. Uh, my hope is, or my guess is, that there's one group of people that's probably very, have very strong biblical convictions against abortion. And you, there, there, maybe, I hope, anyway, there's, that's, a, that's a good chunk of you, that may have very strong convictions and you are actively doing what you can to help protect life. There's another group of you who believe that abortion is wrong, but you're pretty much lethargic about it. You're apathetic. Like, it really doesn't affect. This is not something that comes to your mind very often. You don't think about it much. And I would confess that I probably go in and out of those two at times. Like it doesn't come up until Nick calls me uh, 24 hours ago and says, Hey, you want to? I'm sick. <laughs> That's right. And here we are. There's also possibly some here who believe that it's right and that it should be the choice of a mother to abort her unborn child. And my hope is for. Those who are apathetic, my hope is that we will today, me included, will be, will be challenged to be far more serious about this topic 
And for those who believe that it's right, I'm just going to tell you up front, my hope is that you will be absolutely convinced by God's word that you are wrong and that God's word is right. And I just pray that. I pray, I would love to talk to you for days upon days about this. And so I plead with you and I pray that through God's word, it would plead with you today to see how significant life is to God. And there's also another group here today that I want to be really sensitive with. This is a big deal to me several years ago in my church that I used to pastor. There's another group here. I I realized this in the church I used to pastor when a young mom came and talked to me about the fact that she had had an abortion. And I found out after that that there were several women sitting in my church who'd had abortions in their life. And it, it didn't change the fact that we should talk about this subject with strong convictions and talk about it with clarity, but it did give me a whole other set of eyes to see how much compassion we should have today for those who have had an abortion and the difficulties that they have faced. And if there's someone here today, what, I'm, what I pray for you today is that this message will not be an occasion for Satan to accuse you and fill you with guilt and shame today because of that. I pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ you would cling to that gospel and you would know today that Jesus has died on the cross and he has forgiven you of your sins, all of your sins, including abortion. He's completely forgiven you of that sin. And even as we talk about that in God's word today, that this would not be an occasion for guilt, but it would be a rejoicing in God's grace that Jesus died in your place on the cross and your sins are no more. Amen? And so I pray that for you if there's someone here today who's who has, in fact, been, uh, had an abortion and has struggled through that, uh, that this would not be a foothold for Satan to accuse you at all today, but a rejoicing in his grace over your life. So, there we go. Now we can start. So, I think one of the things, I'm going to go through a, a lot of data for just a moment, and I think it's important to do this. Uh, because I think it sets us up in a very broad way, and then we're going to look at some biblical principles here, and then we're going to land at the end of this. You're wondering what you're going to wonder where Psalm 106 is going to come in. It'll be at the end. Just hang on. All right, this is a little different message, but we're going to wrestle with it. I think one of the things that we Christians often think is that we actually think that that we're defeated in this issue. We really believe, I think, a lot of us, that we've lost the the issue in our culture. That the culture is by and large completely on the other side of this subject than many of us might find ourselves. And I want to just give you some stats because I looked up the very most recent polls that have been taken at the end of 2017 and the beginning of 2018. And here's the reality. And I just give you some of these things just to equip you to know that that's not the case. Here's some stats. 40, you can see it up on the screen actually. 47% of Americans view abortion as morally wrong. And 43% view abortion as morally acceptable. So the majority of Americans actually believe it is more, if anybody wants these stats too, I'd be glad to give them to you. You can have my notes or have the PowerPoint. So, but you can look this poll up. This is not a Christian poll. Every stat that I'll give you today, and I don't like to give tons of stats, but I'll give you a few today. None of these are Christian stats. These are done by secular polling organizations. 78% of Americans endorse significant restrictions on abortion. Isn't that amazing? 78%. 55% of Americans, as opposed to 30% on the other side, say that abortion ultimately does more harm than good for women. 
62% of Americans oppose taxpayer-funded abortions. That's an amazing, alarming stat, and that's incredible. 62%. 41% would restrict abortion only in cases of rape, incest, or to save the life of a mother, which is a very few cases percentage-wise. So I share those stats with you as Christians to encourage you because oftentimes we feel like we've lost the debate, right? It's just over. We've lost the argument here that the culture is by and large on the other side. And I want you just to know that's not true. That when you're talking to a person in a coffee shop about this subject, you are not most likely talking to someone who may be on the other side of this issue than you. And so don't be afraid to share, to talk about this kind of thing because it is a, it is a big deal, especially amongst the younger generation, actually. The stats would show that younger generation is far more against abortion than we would have thought. Let me give you a couple more sobering facts. Uh, since Roe v. Wade in 1973, uh, 50, there have been 59, approximately 59 million babies have been aborted. That's an estimated 3,700 abortions every single day or three abortions per minute. So as I'm speaking here this morning, just imagine this, for every minute that I'm speaking, three unborn children will die by abortion. And here's the breakdown of the statistics, the abortion statistics. 93% of those abortions in America are for convenience. These are the stats, by the way, and the numbers I just gave the numbers that I just gave you in the, in the, of how many abortions have happened are only the ones that are reported because no clinic is mandated to report how many abortions they actually do. So the ones that have been reported add up to somewhere around 59 million. And, and these stats on the breakdown of why people get abortions is from the abortion clinics themselves. These are the stats that they have taken that the abortion clinics say uh, this is the reason why. So 93% of abortions are in America are for convenience. 3% are due to the health of a mother, and 3% is due to the health of the baby, and 1% for rape and incest. It's important to know that, because the last three categories are the ones we most often argue about. But it makes up a very small percentage, uh, in reality, of all the abortions that are done in America every year and every minute that's going on. I also think it's important for you to know, before we get into some biblical facts, to know that this is not a recent issue. We, as Americans, tend to have a very, very much a tunnel vision about issues and difficulties, and, and we tend to think very narrow, like it's only in our time that it's really been bad, right? But the reality is this issue has been an issue for a long time. The earliest mention of, of, of abortion by the church was in 74 AD, in the first century, the, there was a, a, a document known as the Didache that was basically a church document circulated in the first century among churches to instruct churches on church practice. Things like church structure and baptism and, and services, how to do services and pray and all these kinds of things. And in that document, in 150 AD, there's a statement that says, you shall not procure an abortion or destroy an, a newborn child. Isn't that amazing? 150 AD, this was already being instructed to the churches that this is not good. 
Tertullian, who was one of the early church fathers and church leaders in 210, spoke against this issue. And Jerome speaks against it in 396. So I say that to you just to go, this is not new, right? There's nothing new under the sun. This, this whole thing of, of aborting children has been around for a long time. All right, so this is not a new issue, but it is a very, very important issue. So what is at stake? What's at stake for us? Um, what's not at stake is political battles. Now those things are important, but that's not what's ultimately at stake. It's not, what's not at stake is somehow winning the debate in the political arena. That's not what's ultimately at stake. What's really at stake is our own souls. Let me put a whole... Whatever happens out there is one thing, but what happens in here with us as God's children is far, far bigger. It is a battle for our own soul because the question becomes, and we're going to see today, is as Christians, do we believe God's word? Do we really believe it? When it speaks with clarity on something, do we believe it? Do we believe it to be our only authority as a church and as Christians do we really believe that? Or do we just say that, right, until it hits a topic? You see, you want to test that out in your life. When God's word speaks on something that pokes into an issue in your life that you're not very comfortable with, that's where we find out if we actually believe God's word to be true and believe it as authoritative to instruct me in my life on how I should think, feel, and live as a Christian. Or do we believe that we are more enlightened than God. That's what's at stake. Do we believe God's word? Or do we believe that we know better than God? That's ultimately it. But also what's at stake is the lives of million more, millions more unborn children. There are lives at stake in this issue. It's not a small matter. It's a big deal. Several years ago, I was on sabbatical as a pastor. I had a six-week sabbatical. The church gave me. I'm sitting in a Barnes & Noble and in, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, I'm sitting there studying and reading. I'm actually, I was writing a little book on, on uh, premarital counseling. And uh, I'm sitting there wrestling with all these things. I had all kinds of papers laid out. And five pastors came and sat beside me. And they began to talk. And I couldn't help it. I was trying not to eavesdrop. But they were talking about things that perked my interest. And I was just listening in like, what are these five, four retired pastors and one young buck sitting there? And the more they talked, the more furious I became. Because in South Dakota, we almost became, and I say almost, it's very close, we almost became the first state to ban abortion on demand. And it was worked on twice and narrowly defeated both times. And you know who defeated it? The church. The church. Uh, churches, by and large, huge amounts of churches took out ads in our local papers and endorsed voting against banning abortion and put their names, pastors willing to sign their names and put their churches on the line. And it was, it was, it was just shocking and blew many of us away. And these pastors were sitting beside me talking about and mocking those who believe that abortion is wrong and making fun of it. But the one young buck, I was impressed, he was not going along with it. And and uh, it became this incredible conversation, but it just made me aware of the fact that as Christians, even as Christian pastors shepherding God's church, do we believe what God's word says? Do we really believe it? Do we really stand firm on it 
as our foundation, as life-giving to us. These are God's words to us. This is what God says, and so let's jump into that. What does the Bible say? Let me just give you three different facts that are important for us, and there's a lot of things we could say. But let me just give you these three for the sake of time. The first thing we know biblically for a fact is that human life is uniquely, and there's a key there in uniquely, it is uniquely created by God in his image. There is something unique about the creation of man and woman as opposed to all the rest of his creation. If you read Genesis chapter 1, you will see it goes through all of creation and all the creation account, and God created all of these things. And then when it gets to man, it says, but in, in the image of God, he created man. In, the, in his image, he created them male and female. Meaning that we uniquely, as opposed to all of the rest of creation, we are uniquely those who are made in God's image, and we are made to image forth, to, to be a display of God's goodness, of God's character, This is who we are. This is how God made us in his image to reflect that image. And you and I know that Genesis 127 gets disrupted because of sin in Genesis chapter 3. That all of that gets marred, not destroyed, but it gets marred by sin. It corrupts it. It distorts it, which is why we have things like abortion which is why we have all kinds of other social issues, is because of sin, because of corruption, because of distortion. But God, nevertheless, made us in his image to be those who would bear forth, image forth his glory and his goodness throughout all of creation. Also, it's interesting to note that in the Bible, a child in the womb is always referred to as a person. Always. That, that when a, when a, a pregnant uh, mom is, talks about the child that she has in her womb, she speaks of it as a child, as a baby, as her child, as an actual person. This is true in the, the Christmas story, the story in Luke uh, chapter 1 verse 44 between Mary and Elizabeth when, when Jesus' mom, Mary, comes and is pregnant with Jesus and meets up with Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist, it says, and Elizabeth says that when you came in the room, the, my baby in the womb leapt for joy. My baby, this is life, this is a child that's in my womb. This is true in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 12, in many places in the Bible. One of the most clear is Exodus chapter 21 where it speaks in Exodus chapter 21, verse 22 and 23, it speaks about a child who, a mom who's pregnant, who gets in the middle of two people fighting, two men fighting, and it says if they harm the child, there's a penalty for it, and it talks about that if they harm this mother's child that is in her womb, speaks of it in very personal terms, then there's there's a penalty for that, and if they kill the child in this mother's womb, then they deserve death, life for life, it says in verse 23. I do find it interesting in our culture, there's lots of ironies, right? But I find it interesting in our culture that when someone wants a child, then they refer to it as a baby, don't they? When a mother wants to have children, longs to have children, and she becomes pregnant, what do we do? We change our whole lifestyle, don't we? We eat differently. We drink differently. 
We, we exercise differently. We think differently. In fact, we even put headphones on the tummy, right? So that they can hear, you know, we think that that'll help. I don't know if it does or not, but we, we do. We sing to our, our baby who's in our womb. We, we, we even know the sex oftentimes, whether it's going to be a male or a female. And we've already given our baby a name before they've ever come out of the womb because we want children. But it's interesting, when we don't want the child, then it's a piece of tissue. Isn't that weird? messed up, isn't it? I, I was thinking even this past year, I could name off the top of my head several celebrities who, who are completely for abortion at every stage, and yet they themselves got pregnant for the first time. If I named them, some of the kids might know, unfortunately, who they are. And they talked about their babies in press conferences and interviews. This is my child. They were doing all kinds of stuff to nurture this newborn, this unborn baby in their tummy because this is my baby. This is my child. They talked about it in personal terms, but when we don't want the child, it's just a piece of tissue. The third thing that Scripture tells us is that children are a blessing from God. I think this one is really important. I think we have become a culture. You can just test me if I'm wrong, but I think we've become a culture that has begun to believe that children are a nuisance, that they're a pain in the neck, that they're in the way that they mess up our plans, that they disturb us, that there's somehow a, a, a problem. And yet the Bible would declare in Psalm 127, it declares in verse 3, it says that children are a heritage from the Lord. They're a heritage from the Lord. Blessed is the man, it says, whose quiver is full of them. Blessed. that The person who has lots of them is a person who is blessed and in fact in that culture would be seen in high status and have prestige. And that's what it says in Psalm 127. It says that they would be, be honored at the city gates because of their children. That children were seen as, as an honorable thing, as, as not being in the way. In fact, I love what Psalm 127 says it because it says, Our children are like the arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior. Isn't that beautiful? In other words, our children are, are, are arrows in the quiver of a warrior when they go off to battle. What, is, what, is a, what does a warrior do with arrows? Right? An arrow is a very important thing. Right? If you don't have arrows, you're in trouble. Right? And, but what, is it, what does an, an, a soldier do? Right? They pull it out and they aim it in the right direction. Isn't this what we're supposed to do as parents? Right? These, these incredibly amazing arrows in our quiver that we're supposed to direct in a God-glorifying way and direction for their life. These are a blessing from the Lord. They're not an inconvenience, as 93% of the abortions that happen in this country would suggest, that they're just in the way, that they're inconvenient. They are a blessing from the Lord, as Scripture would declare. And I would pray for that we too, as parents, that we would see our children in that way. Be careful how much it creeps into our own heart that our children are just a nuisance. They're just a pain. We even talk about that way, sometimes jokingly, but I can find myself saying that. It's, it's, it's dangerous that we need to believe that our children are a blessing from the Lord. A couple more facts, and then we'll make some conclusions here. I do find it interesting as I've read about this subject in the past, not over the last 24 hours, but uh, that I put this together, 
I do find it interesting that in 1973, if you read about this whole issue in 1973 in Roe v. Wade, there was no debate in the culture except by these justices on the court as to when life began. That debate was not going on in the culture as by and large was not being debated. Medical doctors and scientists by and large were not debating this issue. They believed that life began at conception, even though they didn't have the science at that time to back it up. They didn't have all the evidence at that time to back it up, but they believed it nonetheless, and that's where, medically speaking and scientifically speaking, that's where the issue stood. It was not being debated. It was not being wrestled with until these justices came along and decided that it was fuzzy. And if you read the whole thing and go watch it, I did that uh, several years back before I gave a message like this, and go watch the debate. You can read it. You can even listen to it. It's amazing. It was, it's amazing. And even the justice who wrote the final decision of Roe v. Wade said this. He said, no one actually knows when life begins. Isn't that crazy? And yet the whole medical and scientific community had already declared that they knew. They didn't have all the evidence like we have now, but it wasn't fuzzy to them, even though it was pretty clear to them until these justices came along and decided that it was fuzzy and that it wasn't clear. Let me give you what we do know today. This is important for us to understand. Let me give you the undisputed scientific facts as of today Here's what we know about unborn children in the womb. Let me just go through this. At conception, a child has its own DNA separate from the mother. At conception, the moment of conception, a child has its own DNA that is different and separate from the mother. At two to four weeks, the heart is formed and begins to beat. At five to six weeks, muscle tissue and limbs begin to form. Electrical brain activity can be detected at five to six weeks. They respond to touch. Their eyes and their eyelids are formed. Their nose and mouth and tongue are fully formed at five to six weeks. At seven to eight weeks, all their major organs are formed. They have a fingerprint that is distinctly theirs and no one else's. At nine weeks, a child can grasp an object when they go into the womb because we have such unbelievable technology and they sometimes do surgeries where they can go into the womb and they have to do procedures. A child in the womb at nine weeks will grasp onto the object that comes into the womb. When they have to draw blood, In the womb, a baby winces at the pain of the needle at nine weeks. At ten weeks, it squints. The baby swallows. It frowns when it doesn't like something at ten weeks. We know this stuff for a fact. You can even go online right now. We did this several years back with our kids. Go online right now, and you can watch through a sped-up camera. You can watch the whole process of the development of a child in a mother's womb. It's absolutely phenomenal and amazing that shows all of these facts and more. And yet, even though we know this for absolute fact, we can see it with our eyes, 
We, can, we know it for sure. Scientists and doctors know this for sure. Yet we have declared that it is legally okay to abort a child long past 10 weeks. To go into the womb and to take that baby's life. We've determined that that's okay. We call it choice. But here's what we know from Scripture. What we've just said is that abortion, going into a mother's womb and taking a baby's life that has eyes and ears, nose, can feel pain, can have dislikes and likes, squints, swallows, Abortion destroys a person who is made in the image of God. We know that for a fact. Because the scriptures say that that God is the one who creates all of human life. He is the one who has made human life in his image. Listen for a moment at how intricately involved in the making of human life God is. Psalm 139, which you know probably well, Um, But I just want to read this for you. For you, talking to God, for you formed my inward parts. Verse 13, by the way. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. This is the psalmist saying, this is what God, this is how God is involved in the very creating of a child. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. For my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, which is another expression for the womb. Your eyes, God's eyes, saw my unformed substance, and every day that God ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's how involved in the creation of every single life, every child in the womb. This is how involved God is. He knits us together. He has formed us. He has made us. He has ordained days for us before we ever have one day begin. And so abortion is to go in and remove and destroy what God himself is making and has made. And therefore, according to Exodus chapter 21, Deuteronomy 27, Proverbs 6, and many other places, abortion is therefore by definition murder. Let's just be honest, right? It's the taking of a life that God himself has made. That's what it is. Exodus chapter 21 is a beautiful, uh, uh, not a beautiful, it's it's a serious picture of God saying that when two men, I shared it earlier, when two men fight and they harm pregnant mom, if the, if the baby's not killed but just harmed, then there's a fine that's to be paid. There's a penalty. But if the baby in that mother's womb is killed, then they are to give life for life. That's how serious God took it. You know what's interesting is that on the books, we have case study and laws on the books in America in which that very thing happens, even just recently, where a mom was murdered and her child in her womb, therefore, was murdered as well, and they called it a double homicide. You can read case after case in our country where that's the case. Isn't it ironic that in that moment there's a double homicide 
In other words, we value that life enough in that court, in that moment, we've determined that two lives were taken, not one. And yet, we're willing to intentionally take a life. That brings us to Psalm 106, where I want to just conclude. We're going we're to wrestle a moment for Psalm, with Psalm 106. I know this feels really heavy, doesn't it? And to be honest, it is heavy, right? It is heavy. It, it is a big deal. It, 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 it's something that, again, we, we just easily kind of brush over in our culture and begin to accept and just say it's, it's just the way it is. But I pray that we, we would feel in our gut how serious and how important this is. Psalm 106, a psalm that I read for you at the beginning I want to just look at a few verses of that here this morning. Uh, in Psalm 106, verse 36, just so you know a little bit of the, the picture here. So it's going through this confession of all the sins of Israel. And what's happening is, is that God is, is, or the psalmist is recounting all the ways in which God has been faithful in delivering them from Egypt, call, taking them out of slavery, giving, bringing them safely into the land, overcoming all their enemies. God has delivered them. He's rescued them. He's provided for them. He's loved them. He's protected them so many times. And yet what happens every time? God's people in the Old Testament again and again and again would just turn away from God, rejecting his goodness, rejecting his, his promises, and they would turn to other gods and to other things. And yet God, when he hears their cry in this passage what we read, when he hears their cry, God rescues them. He comes after them. He is faithful to keep his covenant promises. He is faithful. His steadfast love endures forever, right? It's overwhelming. And so in this, in this moment, in this passage, he, he turns and says, they, the children of God, they served their idols. Now, an idol is anything that we place in an ultimate position that it does not belong over and above God. We make it God to us. That's what an idol is. So we decide that, there's, that this, whatever it is, is more important than everything else, and we elevate it to a God-like place in our lives. You and I, as uh, Calvin always said, we are idol factories, we all here today, if we were to just be honest, we have absolutely, we have tons of idols in our hearts that on a regular basis we are at war with, that these things are being elevated in our life to a place that they're never intended to be elevated in. In fact, that's why we're mostly depressed a lot in our culture, in our country, because we are looking to things and putting them in a godlike place in our life and trusting in those things that cannot provide any hope or any help or any confidence or any security in our lives. That's an idol. And so, so here, the psalmist is saying, they, the children of God, they turned away from God and they served their idols, which became a snare to them. Because what happens with an idol, when you put something in the place of God and you trust it as a God, hoping to be fulfilled by it, it leaves you empty and wanting more, right? Right? And so you just keep pursuing it more and more and more, trying to get from it more and more and more. And it just it puts you in this endless cycle, this trap of death. I just, that one issue hits me today. I was, this last week, 
I got a call from a very, some friends of ours from South Dakota, and there was a mom who they're friends with on a plane heading to Seattle all by herself, this Midwestern girl, no idea about the streets of Seattle, heading to Seattle to rescue her daughter off the streets and from addiction. And so um, our friends were calling us going, we got this mom, she doesn't really know what she's doing. She's going to go onto the streets of Seattle and try to rescue her daughter out of addiction. Can you, can you go and help? Can you meet her and help her? And so um, these last few days, that's what I've been doing for two and a half days. And I tell you, I have seen the reality of this verse. The things that we put up and we hold them up and we long for those things to fulfill us and they only leave us empty and even, in fact the more we pursue them the more empty we become and then it leads us to places and to do things and to, to be something that we never would have dreamt we'd become. This young girl was a young, professional, successful, amazing young girl, 4.0 student in school and now she is lost on the streets of Seattle and we totally failed. We thought we'd made progress. We found her and saw things I never want to see again. And yet, at the end of the day, this was more important than everything else. And she walked away from all help. And we could look at that example and go, that's a pretty extreme deal. And it was. But the reality is it's true in your life and my life as well. What are the things that we pursue and are chasing after and hoping in that are not God, that are not his son, Jesus? What are those things? This is what, this is what abortion is as well. I mean, this is, what it, this is what leads to it, I should say. Listen to what this verse continues to say. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood the blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. I don't know that there can be a sadder statement in the Bible. What they had determined is that there's something up here that is so in such a godlike status that it was more important than a child's life. Is that not what abortion is? Success, a career, schooling, we decide that there's something that is more important than the life of a child. And we're willing to sacrifice, just like these, these Israelites did, we're willing to sacrifice that child for the sake of what we see as most valuable. That's what abortion is. It's no different than what the children of Israel were doing with their sons and their daughters. They were sacrificing them, killing them on the altar to some crazy, unknown, foreign God that could do nothing for them. It was an incredibly sad thing. An incredibly sad thing. And what was God's response to this? God responds to this. He says, he says then in anger, well, in fact, he first of all says that they became unclean. He declares how serious it is. They became unclean by their acts and they played the whore in their deeds. In other words, 
God is their husband. He's the one who has come after them and purchased them and loved them and rescued them and redeemed them, and yet they've turned away from him and they've gone off and chased after other women. That's in essence what it's like. They've gone off and chased after, or I should say, other husbands, these idols that they put up. And then God says, because of this, the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people. God is not okay with it. And he abhorred his, his heritage. And this is probably one of the other sad verses. And he gave them into the hands of the nations. The same words are in Romans chapter 1, where he says he gave them over. He gave them over into the hands of their enemies that they would be taken. They were thrown into exile. And those who hated them began to rule over them. Their enemies oppressed them. They were brought into subjection under their power. And many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and they were brought low through their iniquity. Now we are not Israel, (laughs) sitting here today, but we are God's people. I think it's important for us to wrestle with whether or not we're okay with with the abortion of unborn children, the killing of unborn children, for 93% of which is simply out of convenience. It's not okay. It's not all right. Let us not be those who would be given over by God. Let us be those who stand where God stands. And I think that's where this psalm then brings good news to us as we're sitting here, hearing this this tough, weighty thing. I love verse 44. Nevertheless, nevertheless, even in spite of this, you want to know God's unbelievable grace? Unbelievable grace that I mentioned actually at the beginning. His unbelievable grace is in spite of what they have done, even in the sacrificing of the children. God is long-suffering. He's patient, and he's crying out to them. And he's saying, nevertheless, I'm coming after you. You are my children. I'm coming after you. He says, nevertheless, he looked upon their distress. He heard their cry, and for their sake, he remembered his covenant promises. I love that. And he relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. You and I sitting here this morning, we know this even more because his covenant promises ultimately led to him sending, as a, as a, in response to his promise to Abraham, sending his son Jesus, who has once and for all removed our sin in spite of whatever you have done, including abortion or anything else. God sent his son Jesus and he is, he is, his love is steadfast and it is abundant that he has come and he has died to remove the stain of our sins. We were taking communion as a worship team in the side today and, uh, we, and I just, it just hit me that the scriptures tell us that our sins because of Jesus' blood will be made whiter than snow. Have you ever seen anything whiter than snow? That's like saying something is cleaner than clean. How does that happen? But that's God's way of saying something so strongly to say that I have removed your sins. They are no more in spite of how rebellious and unruly you are or have been. God's grace is bigger still. And he pursues you and seeks after you and he sent his son and he calls us. 
You would think he would just destroy us off the face of the earth, right? But he says, no, he says, the psalmist, he says, for their sake, he remembered his covenant. He relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love, and he caused them to be pitied. In other words, he caused the people who had taken them captive to to be favorable towards them and eventually let them go. Verse 47, he says, save us, O God, Lord our God. Gather us from amongst the nations, which is what God is doing right now, gathering his people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation in response to the coming of his son, gathering us into his church that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise, And then he ends with this great, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all of God's people say, amen. Praise the Lord. Right? This is the good news in the midst of bad news. Let us be those who pursue God, who, who turn away from our idols, including the idol of success and fame and fortune and all these things that we put our trust in. Let us be those who turn to Jesus Christ alone for our hope. There's so much more to say, but I'm just going to do this. You might ask the question this morning, so what? What? What do we do about this? What can you do sitting here this morning that's going to make any dent whatsoever in this issue of abortion? Even if you're riled up this morning, you're like, this is, this is horrible. We want to do something, right? That's, we're Americans, right? We, we do stuff, right? What could you do? Let me just give you some ideas. The first thing you can do, and this will sound really generic, but do all that you can to defend the defenseless. Think about this, the most vulnerable person in America, and we are a country right now that talks a lot about who's vulnerable in our country, right? We have all all kinds of people and all kinds of things that are really vulnerable and defenseless, and we need to stand up for those who don't have voices, right? And I think that's absolutely spot on. I agree 100% we should. But who ultimately is the most defenseless person in our country right now? It's an unborn child, isn't it? The most vulnerable person on the face of this planet is an unborn child. That's who we ultimately better be standing up for, right? That's who we should be defending. And so let us do all that we can to give a voice to those who cannot yet speak for themselves. The defenseless children in the womb. We can also elect godly leaders. We never trust in government Right? I chuckle about that, but we never trust in government. We don't believe government is our hope, but we do everything we can to make sure that our leaders are godly. Everything that we can to make sure that those whom we seek to elect are godly leaders who stand for life. I know people say things too like, well, don't be a single issue voter. I mean, that's hogwash, right? I could name, I could name 10 issues right now. Ten issues that I've said to you, if a candidate did this, you would absolutely not vote for them because of that one thing. Is, is the killing of an unborn child at least close to the top of that list, right? I'd say it's worth being a single-issue voter. There is no single issue that may rise to the top, higher to the top than that. So be active in doing that. Support groups that are working to help young moms. I saw so many of them on the streets of Seattle this week. Incredible amounts of groups that were awesome, unbelievable. We support as a church, CareNet, 
which is, helps young moms. Uh, and so I encourage you to, to be supportive of them. Go down there and work. Go volunteer. Go check out what happens. Go, go become a counselor and help counsel and encourage young moms who are pregnant. Here's a big one. Adopt. It's one thing for us as Christians to say, we should not abort our babies. But then many of us, are we willing to take that child into our home? Are we seriously willing to be hospitable and say to a young mom who wants to give up her child because she can't take care of it, to to say, you can't get an abortion. But then what? Where is that child going to go if not to our house, to your house? Are you willing to open up your house and your life to take in an orphan child? Would you be willing to do that? To be a place of hospitality, to do whatever it takes Fifth, educate your, you and your, yourself and your family. Educate your children about this issue. The culture is teaching your kids about this issue. So teach them back. Teach your kids about this issue. Show them the videos of what a baby, the development of a baby in the womb at very young ages. I know that may sound crazy, but show them because they're being told at very young ages about the other side of the issue. So teach them at very young ages. When you think they're fragile, just think of the world they're going into. You need to prepare them and equip them. So teach them about this. Talk about it. And lastly, but not last on the list, as far as importance, is to pray. Pray for God to give us wisdom, to give us diligence, to give us faithfulness as his people. Pray that we will trust God, that we will work diligently to defend the defenseless, that we would be a church and a people who would stand for life, that we would hold up the value of all life that is created in the image of God. All life created in the image of God. We're going to take communion now, which I think is incredibly fitting. I'm going to pray in a moment, and then we're going to take communion. But as you take communion today, um, please, please remember Remember the gospel. Remember what Christ has done for us. There is no depth of sin that you have plunged into in your life that God's grace is not bigger and deeper still. And so as you take this this bread that you're going to take, and we're going to give you both the elements today, as you take the bread, you remember that Jesus absorbed in his body the very punishment and the very wrath that every one of us and all of humanity deserved for their sins. He paid for all of it. Not just what you have committed, but he's paid for your sins, past, present, and future. It's gone, wiped away. He has paid the penalty by absorbing that wrath in his own body on your behalf as a substitute. And so eat the bread, remember his body, and do it with thanksgiving. And the cup, when you take it, it is a reminder to us It's a a reminder that Jesus is, in fact, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. That Jesus shed his own blood in order to wash away our sins, whiter than white, right? Cleaner than clean. As far as the east is from the west, it's removed, it's gone. He remembers it no more because Jesus' blood has been shed and has wiped away all of our sins. So drink the cup and remember his blood shed for you today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it's with joy that we come to you today and we give thanks to you.
Because in spite of our own sinfulness, you loved us. In fact, your word says you demonstrated your love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, God, for this great gift. God, we pray today, I pray for the workers in places like CareNet and in the streets of Seattle and Olympia and all across this country, places who work diligently to support and encourage and uphold young moms who stand for life. God, let us be those who stand where you stand. Let us trust your word that you are the one who has made us in your image, that we might image forth, that we might show forth your glory and your goodness in our lives. And so God, let us value life the way you value life. Let us see every person that we set our eyes on. Let us, let us believe and know that that person is made in your image. And help us to love them and care for them, including our unborn children. Thank you, God, for your word today. Thank you for your word that has clarity for us, that helps us stand firm. And thank you for the gospel that saves us. In your name we pray, amen.